trust you that the promises, what you say is going to happen, that we hold you to your word, that what you say is the truth. And I just pray that that would be our compass. It would be what guides us and leads us into the future and what you have in front of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, what series are we starting today? I actually have the candy. If you've got a paper Bible, hold that up and I'll throw candy at you. Paper Bible. Um, hey. Get wrecked. I was like right to your hand. Oh, Eli's got one. Nice. First time here and he's bringing his Bible. He's showing all of you up. Oh, sorry. Did you got yours, Charlie? Charlie, did you bring one? No. Um. <laughs> I just want to get it up there. <laughs> That's Brandon's. <laughs> Here you go, Brandon. <laughs> okay. Is that everyone? All right, who knows what the name of the series is we're doing? What do you got, Jada? It's the movie series. Yeah, I mean, it's the movie series, but ALF at the movies. So, oh, were you going to say? I mean, you were next to a leader who vouched for you, so. No, I know. Who vouched for you, as in, you said yes, she did. So, okay. Oh, nice. Everyone say hi, Anna. Sorry, Anna. <laughs> so, ALF at the movies, and tonight is one of my absolute favorite movies of all time. It is The Fellowship of the Ring. Who here has seen the Lord of the Rings movies? Raise your hand. Yes, they're so good. I'm like, oh no, I have to watch this movie to figure out the clips I want to use. Oh, bummer. <laughs> but no, it's such a good movie. If you haven't seen them, I highly recommend it. And especially the extended editions. They're so good. They're just so much better. <laughs> but... These, uh, debatable, these movies came out, now, get this, the movie that I'm talking about tonight, it came out 22 years ago. Whoo, a long time. It took them, it took them, I want to say it was 430 something days consecutively filming all three movies straight they lived in new zealand for over a year just to film movies <laughs> that's crazy <laughs> isn't that nuts it took them i think it's eight years total to do the movies entirely from sketching them and storyboards all the way to final editing and throwing them in the theater that's a long time to make a movie so, if you didn't know what goes into these movies, it's a lot. But these movies specifically, 
are very close to my heart. And there's so much biblical truth that you can find from them, that you can pull out of these movies. And that's really what this series is all about. It's being able to look at your world and be able, through all the muck and whatever else is in this world, be able to pull out some truth of what is God saying? What is God speaking in your world? And God can speak to you through anything. And if you go to the Old Testament, he used a donkey to talk to somebody. <laughs> like, literally. There's a donkey that talked to a person. <laughs> and if he can use that, I mean, I think he could use some movies to speak to us, don't you think? So, that's kind of the whole idea behind this series. And we do this series every single year in May. So, look out for it every single year, okay? But in these books, as well as movies... J.R.R. Tolkien, he's the one who wrote these books, and he himself was a believer. And these books themselves weren't written about Christianity, but here's what he had to say about an interview on these books. This is what he said. I am a Christian, and of course what I write will be from that essential viewpoint. What comes out of you is what is really truly inside of you. Okay? The things that come out of you are what's really there. The things you write about reveal a lot about who you are. The things that you say to your friends, to your family, in your journal, if you have a journal. Who here has a diary? McKenna's got one. Oh. <laughs> so, yeah, I know, that's, that's so 90s. <laughs> so, Here's another thing that Tolkien said about the books that he wrote, okay? And in regards to the Lord of the Rings specifically, it says here that this is a quote of his, and it's often quoted by people. It says, The Lord of the Rings is, of course, a fundamentally religious and Catholic work. Now, it's capital C, meaning the entirety of the church in the world, okay? If you want to know what that means later, talk to me. <laughs> But unconsciously, so at first. So he's saying, at first when I wrote these books, it wasn't me consciously writing something to be religious. But afterwards, once it was all said and done, it ended up just kind of becoming that. He says, unconsciously, so at first, but consciously in the revision of it. So when he went back to it, he realized some things that he wrote. He's like, wow. This really it does have a lot of biblical ties to it. It's got more than I realized myself. Because unconsciously, he wasn't trying to do it. But like he said earlier, these things, they're going to come out of me. They're the essential viewpoint of everything that I write. I'm going to write with that perspective. And that's what ended up happening. So, these movies have so many biblical parallels. I could do the entire series on these movies alone. <laughs> I've thought about it. <laughs> It's taken me several years to decide to even do one of them because it's quite the undertaking. But there's a big scene in the movie, and it's pretty short, but it's really, really important. There's a scene in the movie, and it's probably my favorite dialogue out of the entire series, and I'm not even kidding. It's between Frodo and Gandalf. So Frodo, if you don't know, is the main character of these stories. He's decided to agree to this impossible task, which is to destroy the one ring. Everyone say one ring. 
Frodo's agreed to do the most difficult and unthinkable thing, which is to destroy the One Ring. People have tried it and failed miserably in the past. And what is he going to do? How is he going to do any better? But he decides to do it. He says, I'll do it. I'll take it. I'll do this job. After everybody's arguing about what should actually happen, he stands up and says, I'll take care of it. And people look at him and they're like, really? (laughs) But then they get behind him and say, I'll help you. So his mission is deemed impossible, really. And it ends up having, he ends up having second thoughts about it later on. After he agrees to do this, later on he thinks to himself, what did I just agree to? (laughs) Have you guys ever had that thought about anything in your life? Why did I say yes? (laughs) Why did I agree to this? You agree to something and things end up maybe getting a little complicated or difficult in your life. Maybe it's choosing to follow Jesus. You decide to get serious about your faith and you think, oh, everything's going to go all great now. All my problems are going to subside. Nothing's going to go wrong. But then you actually end up finding out things actually start getting really, really wrong in your life. (laughs) Maybe things get more difficult. Maybe there's more evil that you seem to see around you in your world. And you're wondering, isn't this stuff supposed to be better now that I decided to follow Jesus? I'm doing exactly what he wanted me to. Why is this stuff happening? Frodo agrees to destroy the one ring that's being quoted as being altogether evil. But later he wishes he never got the ring at all. (laughs) I wish this never came to me. So that leads me to the first clip. You want to pull it up there. So Frodo's life seemed simple. It seemed carefree, problem-free, but all that changed when he was given an opportunity to really make his life mean something, to amount to something and be bigger than himself. So let's take a listen to this. So, Frodo's sitting down having this heart-to-heart conversation with Gandalf, who's likened to a mentor of his. He's somebody who's incredibly wise, can pour into him, share truth with him, be able to help him along this journey that he's agreed to do. And interestingly enough, Gandalf didn't stop him when he said, I'll do it. He kind of had this look of, oh no. You have no idea what you just said. (laughs) But he stands behind him and he says, I got your back. I will help you. And he gets in this conversation with him where Frodo is having these regrets. Have you guys ever had regrets in your life? You think about the decisions you've made and you go, was that a mistake? Should I not have done that? And there's things that rightly so you should be regretting. If you've lived a life of sin, you should regret that. The Bible even says in James, you should cry and mourn for the sins that you've committed. 
You should regret those decisions that you've made. You should have sorrow over the wrong that you've done. Well, there's times where we agree to do something for the Lord, and then later on the enemy tries to tempt us and say, you really think you can do that? Do you really want to walk this life? It's not easy, which is true. But he's trying to convince you that there's a better option when there isn't. He's trying to convince you that there's something else that you can do in this life than please God and have your life be a satisfaction. And it's not the case. There's no other way to walk through this life with satisfaction than living for the Lord. Gandalf says some incredibly wise words. He says, all you have to do is decide what to do with the time that's given to you. And these words, I mean, they, I think about them every time I watch this movie. <laughs> what are you doing with your time? What are you doing with your life? Because every single one of us is given the same amount of time. 24 hours a day. It's not like somebody magically has 30 and somebody else is given a short hand and they've only got 15 hours in a day. <laughs> it can feel like that sometimes, <laughs> but that's not the case. What are you doing with your time? Because we can all start to get angry at God and say, God, why do I have this life? Why is this the hand I was dealt? This is your fault. Why do I have to deal with this? Why can't you have somebody else deal with this life? Maybe there's a responsibility that's been given to you. Or you, you have maybe a sense of a moral compass and the people at your school don't. <laughs> and you're like, why is it I'm always the one that sees the things that are wrong and I have to say something? Because nobody else is going to say anything. Maybe that's the position you're in. And you're like, Lord, why is it me? And he's saying, why not? Why not do something with what you see? Make a difference with the things that are in your world rather than stand by and keep your hands tied and do nothing about the world around you because you guys can make a difference in your world. Last week we heard a story about somebody who was a teacher, right? Who was here last week? Raise your hand. Some of you. So there was a guy, his name was Gary Swan, and he was here, and he was a, t a biology teacher. And there was a 15-year-old kid who shared his faith with him. That is making the most of your time. He was given the same opportunity as anyone else in that school that had him as a teacher to share faith with him. I believe there is other believers in the class. Maybe it was one, two, somebody else. I find it unlikely that in America, he was the only one. <laughs> but he made the most of his time. There's a verse in Ephesians I want to pull up. Ephesians 5.17. Who wants to read this one? Come on up here. Go ahead, Jada. Come on up. <laughs> so in Ephesians 5, verse 15 through 17. It's the yellow down there at the bottom. Yep. Go ahead. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. 
Woohoo! Let's give her a hand. You can take a piece of candy behind you if you want. Yeah, go ahead. It doesn't take much to see how true this verse is in your world. The days we live in, guys, the days we live in are truly evil. There is so much wrong with the world today. It does not take much to get that figured out. You just have to look around you in the world today. Look around in Butte. Walk outside during St. Patty's Day. <laughs> That's a problem right there, right? Anything on the news, really, right? Every four years especially, it seems to go up and down with every election season. <laughs> it gets really bad. But the days we live in, would you say that there's evil in this world? Yeah. You need the wisdom of God to know how to navigate through this life. You desperately need to have God's spirit inside you to know how to get through things well. I don't know about you, but I don't want to go through this life ignoring what God speaks to me. Because I know that what he says has my benefit in mind every single time, as well as the benefit of others around me. Gary, last week, like I said, he talked about how he came to faith in that one kid who understood the will of God for Gary's life had it be something that moved his feet into motion. It put him into action to do something with what he was given, the time that he had. He had a little bit of time just to share his faith with his teacher. And I would imagine there's somebody that comes to mind with you guys that are serious about your faith. About somebody that comes to mind who you can share your faith with. Someone that you can make a difference in their life. There's got to be somebody. As a result of that kid, the people impacted by his obedience probably has no limitation. There's, there's no limit to the ripple effect that that kid made in the life of the people around him. It changed Gary's life, who ended up changing his family's life, who changed his kid's life, who changed his grandkid's life. It went on and on. And then he said there was like 50 people in his basement for a Bible study from Deer Lodge. You guys know that school is not nearly as big as Butte, right? At one point he said it got to be so large that I want to say he said a fourth of the student body was entirely saved, at least. <laughs> Might have been half. But can you guys imagine a fourth of your school coming to Jesus? That's crazy. What would that do? Yes? It is like a fourth of your school? What if you're homeschooled? Hey, they can't keep you out of there as a Bible study. They just can keep you out of there while school's in session. <laughs> I've heard about it, that if, if you're homeschooled, you still pay, your parents still pay money in taxes for the school. So, I mean, use some wisdom with it on how to navigate it. But there's something that can be done. And I know there was homeschoolers that were at the high school Bible study from time to time. I think your sister was one of them. Macy was there. It was, it was like two years ago. But yeah. Is there another question over here? No? Okay. 
As a result, like I said, the people impacted by his obedience probably has no limits. What is God asking you to do that may seem impossible to you? But with God, all things are possible. That's what he told Mary, who's like, how am I supposed to have a baby? That's impossible. I'm a virgin. And the angel said, with God, all things are possible. That was his answer. When I thought about these clips in the movie, I've got another one I'm going to share, but when I thought about the clips from this movie, God reminded me of the story of Esther. And I've actually never preached on it, but it's such a good story, and the story of Esther, I think, really has some parallels to this story of the impossible and how am I supposed to do this? This doesn't look good. It's not, the odds are not in my favor. <laughs> With Esther, I'll give you a little bit of a backstory. So, the story of Esther takes place even after the book of Daniel. I was looking into it because I'm like, where, where does this even fall into the timeline of what happened with the history of Israel? So, I've shared before that the nation of Israel had judges first, and then they said, we want a king. So God said, okay, fine, I'll give you a king. And that's where eventually David comes into play. King David. You guys have heard of King David before, right? So, a lot of the kings screw up royally. Ha ha ha. <laughs> but they do. One king after another says that they did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. There was a few good ones throughout, but majority of the kings in Israel were terrible. They constantly led the people away from God. They constantly were disobedient. They were not listening to his commands and doing what he said. So, God says, fine, you guys aren't going to listen to me, then I'll just pull back my hands of protection from you and see how much you like life without me <laughs> in charge. Even though God's kind of always in charge. But he's like, fine, you want to do things without my blessing? You don't want to listen to me? Then I'll just let you, let life deal with you. <laughs> so they end up going into captivity from another nation, which was Babylon. After Babylon... They get taken over because it was just one kingdom after another going around conquering people, right? You got the Babylonians and then the Persians come. And then after the Persians, the Romans come later, right? So in this story of Esther, we've got Persia is taken over Babylon. And now the nation of Israel that was in captivity to the Babylonians is now under ownership and rulership of another kingdom. And along the line, Esther, which I won't get into all the details, she eventually becomes queen because she's smoking hot, basically. <laughs> that's, the, that's the gist of it. So she becomes queen and, yeah, smoking hot wife. So she becomes queen and her cousin, Mordecai, catches wind of this plot by a man named Haman. I believe that's his name, right? All the ladies know. This is the story they all know. Just kidding. <laughs> it's a little true. Every lady knows this story, right? So Mordecai is her cousin, and her cousin catches wind of this terrible plot to wipe out all the Jews. And this isn't done by the king, but there's somebody within the kingdom that's going to manipulate the king to kill all the Jews. Well, Esther's Jewish, 
so is Mordecai, so are all the Israelites, right? And this is obviously a problem. So Mordecai tells Esther, you need to do something about this. You're in the palace. You have authority. You have influence. You can do something. Don't sit on your hands with this. We're all going to die. And if you don't do anything, God's going to hold you responsible. Even though you're in the palace, things are good for you. You're fine. It's going to come back around and bite you in the butt. So this is what Mordecai ends up telling her because she's like, whatever, I really don't think I need to do anything about it. She tries to get out of it a little bit, and then he responds again. So this verse in Esther, chapter 4, let me get another person to read this. Come on, Tegan. He raises his hand first. Who else raised their hand? A couple of you over there. We got another couple of verses. So it's this one right here, okay? So that's Mordecai. That's a big word. <laughs> it's kind of complicated. <laughs> I, I never said it right when I was a teenager. Okay. Just help me out. <laughs> oh, okay, go ahead. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Let's give him a hand. This is like the most quoted verse in Esther and at every women's conference too, right? <laughs> such a time as this. We've been raised up. <laughs> so, so did you guys catch what was going on in this conversation. Mordecai, what is he telling Esther? Is he convinced that the Jews are going to be destroyed? Is actually, he's convinced that he, he's like, hey, if you don't save us, if you don't do something about us, God's going to use somebody else. Because I know God's promises is essentially what Mordecai is standing on. We sang about this in the song, which I thought was just so fitting with this passage. I know God's promises. We are God's chosen people. And he's given promises to David that somebody is going to come who's going to save us. There is going to be a Messiah one day. Hasn't come yet, so why would God allow every Jew to die? It's not going to happen. He'll deliver us somehow. It's just whether or not you're going to choose to be a part of it. Because Esther is given an opportunity to do something with this, with this chance she's given? Is she going to make the most of this time that's given to her? Because the days are evil. Or is she going to just choose what is evil, which is to not stand up against injustice? Which is not to do something about the evil in her world? So, she ends up deciding to do something about it. And you can go read the story for yourself. The Jews end up getting saved. She is a huge part of it and very well changes a big thing that could have gone wrong for the Jews. God chooses to use her, and God wants to use you guys. There are things in your life that you're going, this is impossible. There's no way I can make a difference in my school. I am one person. 
you could make all the difference, and you have no idea. In the same way that kid with Gary made all the difference in his school and completely changed his friend group, his classes. I mean, it was life-changing for everybody there. And God wants to use you guys in a big way. The question is whether you're going to say yes to it. And when you do say yes to it, there's going to be opportunities for regret to sink in. The enemy's going to try to get you to be convinced, yeah, you made a mistake. You shouldn't have agreed to do that. Why would you do that for God? You can't make a difference. Well, that's not true. And Esther found that out. For her, she had to walk into the king's chamber while he's on the throne. Not in the bathroom, okay? Don't worry. Different thrones. <laughs> my wife knows my jokes. <laughs> she had to go into the king's palace, walk into the room that he was in where he was in charge, marching orders left and right from the throne. And if anyone went in there who wasn't summoned by the king, he could have them dead right then and there. They were not allowed to enter into the room without his permission, without not just his permission, but his request. He had to call you to it. And so she's like, if I walk in there, I'm dead. This is impossible. The only way is if he chooses to accept me when I walk in the room. And there's no reason why he had to. So she's like, all right. Except she's smoking hot, right? <laughs> so she ends up fine. I'll do this. She agrees to walk in. And he holds out the scepter. He's like, what is it you want? my queen. And so she lays out the whole thing and ends up having success in her plans to save the people. And all of the Jews are saved as a result of it, which is incredible, right? She thought this thing was impossible. In the same way with Frodo, he's like, how am I supposed to do this? I said yes to it, but man, things are really getting difficult. <laughs> there are things I'm seeing that I've never seen before. Lots of darkness, lots of evil that I was never aware of. Why did I not just stay in my home where things were comfortable? Why did I agree to this? You don't necessarily have control of where you are. I want you guys to know that. Some of you, you have been dealt a bad hand in life. The things you've had to deal with, they're not fair. You shouldn't have been given this. There's responsibilities you guys have, some of you in this room, that it was not fair for you to have that. And you don't necessarily have control over where you are, but you do have control of what you do with where you are. That's what's in your hands. That's what's your decision. And what Gandalf said, all we have to do is decide with what we do, with what we're given, with the time that you have, with the choices that are before you. What are you going to choose to do? Are you going to choose to sit on your hands and do nothing? Are you going to choose to take the back seat? Or are you going to stand up and do something in your life and with the world around you and make a difference in your school? How many of you want to see Butte change for the better? Right? I know I do. What you do with where you are ends up affecting where you are going. 
You can choose to do nothing, but then if that's the case, you really can't complain about where you're going. You can't complain about where you get. But if you do something about where you're going, it actually ends up getting better in the long run. And the way you do something about where you're going is if you do something with where you are now. You've got to do something with where you are. You don't change the future by sitting in the present. You change the future by standing up in it and moving forward and doing something. If you remain faithful to God with what God has given you, including the time and opportunities he has given you, then you actually might just be exactly where God wants you to be. It can be easy to think, God, why am I in this place? I'm doing everything you want me to. I'm doing everything you ask. Why do I still have these troubles in my life? Why do I still have these people that I have to deal with that are ridiculing me, putting pressure on me to not follow you? I'm dealing with the same issues in my home. Why is that? Maybe God has you there to make a difference. In the same way with those famous words that Mordecai said to Esther, you might be there because of this time right now. Maybe you're in the palace for such a time as this. Maybe God brought you there because he had the foresight that we did it. You don't know why you're going through what you are. God does. And when you trust him with your future and what's going on in your life, it's amazing what ends up happening. You see the impossible happen. The things that were seen as completely out of nowhere are going to happen. Impossible. And he ends up doing it. You might think, why am I the one that has to be this in this position? Well, God is saying, you're exactly where I want you to be. Trust me and do as I say, and it's going to get good. <laughs> there might be some bad moments, but do you want to see miracles? Do you want to see me move in your life? And trust me. The cross demands a decision when we come before it. When we get in front of the cross and come to know Jesus has claimed to be Savior, we're put at a point of decision of whether we're going to choose devotion to him or rejection of him. We're, we're given two options. I want to pull up the next clip here. Not that one. <laughs> so, in this one, Frodo, it's towards the end of the movie, of the first movie, okay? And in this spot, Frodo, he's having second thoughts again. The words of Gandalf are coming through his mind. And he's like, what am I going to do? I have to do something. I have to make a choice. And which choice am I going to make? So here's what's going on in his head. Go ahead and play it. So at this point, what does he end up doing? He makes a decision. What's his decision? He gets in the boat and he goes for it. He's like, I'm going to do this. He ends up saying, I'm going to do this by myself, which was foolishness. <laughs> Sam ends up being the true hero of the entire thing. <laughs> yeah, anyways. But he's given a decision. 
he knows I can't, I have to make a choice. I can choose to do something or do nothing. And some of you might be thinking, man, why was I ever given that decision? (laughs) This is really difficult. (laughs) Well, you don't have control over that. What you do have control is what you do with it. So you might as well do something good with the choices you have. Make the most of every opportunity. In 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter's talking to the church. And you might be thinking, well, sure, that's easy for you to say. You're a pastor, and you follow Jesus, and you've probably followed him for years. Things are easy for you to do this. I don't have things in my favor. Things just don't work out for me. I've tried this thing before, following Jesus, and I really didn't get very far. Let me show you a passage. This here will change everything. In 2 Peter, chapter 1. You want to come up here, Charlie? You can come read it. It's a big one. So just this top part. Yes, the top one. (laughs) The bottom one's much smaller. (laughs) Yes. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for a living. A godly life, we have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. Everyone say, (laughs) excellent. And because of the, oh, I started stumbling. (laughs) And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. (laughs) These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world of corruption corruption caused by human desires. Yes. All right, let's give it a hand. That is a mouthful. But did you guys see that in the passage? What does it say at the start? By his divine power, God has given us what? Everything we need to live a godly life. You might be thinking, how can I follow Jesus? How can I actually do that? I feel like I'm just going to fail. How can I actually succeed in being a follower of Christ? Well, this here says, His divine power, buy it. He's given you everything you need to actually follow him, to actually live for him. It's not found inside you other than him giving it to you. It's not you. It's him living inside you, giving you the power to do it. It says, we have received all this by coming to what? To know him. It's not some you going to seminary. It's not you going to some big fancy college that talks about the Bible and then you come out with a doctorate to be able to interpret Greek to write a new translation of the Bible. That's not where it comes from. I mean, just, yeah. It's, it's not you having all these crazy things happen for Jesus in your life. It's just you saying, God, I want to know you. Reveal yourself to me. Who are you, God? And show me who you are. 
and who you really truly are because I want to know you. And then that's where it comes from. The one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. His promises for you are good. They're not promises that he's not going to come through on. You know he's going to stand on them. So you can too. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption. This is the big part. You might be thinking, I am in a family that's like a den of wolves. There is no way I can follow Jesus. I will be torn to shreds. I will be ripped apart. Nobody is actually going to help me out. (laughs) I'm on my own. Well, that's not true for one. We're here. (laughs) You have believers in your life. But also, you have everything that you need to live a godly life. That is a promise from the Lord. And by his divine nature that you're sharing in, you have his divine nature living inside you. That's crazy. (laughs) Divinity living inside you. To escape the world's corruption. The evil that's in it. You don't have to be a part of it. You can be above it, different from it. Your life can be different. I want to share a story. And this was not at all on my notes. I didn't even have this on my radar. <laughs> but God just brought it to mind. There was, I'm trying to remember exactly where I heard this story, but it's an example of a teenage girl that was over in the Middle East who came to faith in Jesus. And her family was Muslim. They were hardcore Muslim. Like, if she were to come to faith and they find out about it, they're going to kill her. Well, they found out about it. And they didn't kill her. They're like, okay. And she's like, that's weird. All right. And she just kept doing her thing, following Jesus, spending time reading the word, praying, praying for her family, praying for other people, going to a church that was like an underground secret church that her family found out about, but they didn't say anything to her. And she, like, ends up inviting them to church one day. She's like, I think I need to invite them. And so she, this is weeks later, she tells them, like, I want you guys to come to church with me. And time after time, they turn her down, just like Gary turning this kid down, right? But eventually, they say, okay, fine, we'll go with you. And they go with, and there's a call at the end to come forward and put your faith in Jesus. And for them to do that there is like, they don't go, bow your head, close your eyes, you know, just nobody look around. We want this to be really comfy and secret. No, they're like, if you're serious about this, we want you to know. Come forward. <laughs> they, they're like, if you want to follow Jesus, you come up here, and we'll talk to you. And when they come up front, they actually, like, ask questions to check their sincerity, to make sure they're actually not some spy in there to, like, burn the church to the ground. <laughs> and get inside it and cause havoc. So, the dad stands up, the rest of the family stand up, and they all come forward. And so the pastor comes down, and he's like, so why do you want to follow Jesus? What's this about? And the dad says, 
we've been poisoning her every day for two weeks, and she's not dying. That was his response. This dad is like, there has to be some legitimacy to this. <laughs> Jesus has to be real, and he has to be saving her. He has to be God. He has to be alive. This is not some just good prophet, which is what Muslims believe. He's like, he has to be the real deal. I have been giving more than enough poison to kill her. I mean, it was like three times enough to totally kill her right then and there. And every day, every day at dinner, nothing happened. He was fine coming to church because he realized the truth of who God is in that moment. He said, there has to be a God. He has to be real. What would you guys do if that happened to you? <laughs> right? Like that story, it just blew my mind the first time I heard it. And I never forgot the story. I can't remember exactly where it came from. And I'm, I think it's Voice of the Martyrs. I'm not 100% positive. But I remember reading it and my jaw just dropped. And I'm like, do I really love Jesus? <laughs> but in this, like, you think you're in a den of wolves. You haven't seen anything <laughs> compared to that. But maybe there is some legitimacy to your situation. Family can be really brutal in America, too. They can be, they can be mean. <laughs> they can do terrible things, too, if you come to faith in Jesus. They might not be trying to poison you every single day there. <laughs> but the things that they say can be poison. <laughs> right? But let the truth of Second Peter speak to your situation. You have everything you need to live a godly life. You have all that you need to live for him well and escape the corruption of the world. Escape the evil that's in it. Because you guys know there's evil in the world, right? It's real. Let this verse be comforting to you. And the story of Esther bring courage to you that where you are, might be exactly where God wants you to be. Because you might be able to make a difference in the world around you in a way that nobody else could. Or at least partnering with God, saying, you know, I could use somebody else, but I want to use you. And that should be flattering. <laughs> that should be something that encourages you. and says, wow, God trusts in me? He believes me that I can do this? If I trust in him? Well, if he says I can, then... It must be true. Let's stand. I'm going to pray. Leaders, come on forward. Woohoo! The only question I have for you guys, and it's a big one, but in light of all this, the, the one question I've got is just to think and share what is something that you see as impossible that you know God wants to be done? What is an impossible thing? Maybe it's start a Bible study, and you're like, there's no way I can start a Bible study in my school. Impossible. School's almost done anyways. Is it really going to amount to anything? Maybe it's due in the summer. Maybe it's share your faith with a coworker, somebody in, on your sports team, somebody in dance with you. I don't know, somebody. Think about something God would want you to do that you might think is impossible, but God is saying, 
I've given you the ability to do it. You can do it. Just like that kid with Gary shared his faith. All right, let's pray. God, we thank you that through your divine power, not through our own power, we have everything we need. God, it's, it's humbling that you want to use us to make a difference in this world. God, I pray that we would do something with the opportunities we're given. We would make the most of the time that we have, that we would choose to do the right thing with the time that is given to us. That we wouldn't sit on our hands, sit on the sidelines, and do nothing. Charlie. <laughs> God, I pray that we would do something with the moments we're given to make a difference in the world for the better and to advance your kingdom, to see your kingdom come here in view. In Jesus' name, amen.